Good morning. All right, finally got it unmuted. <laughs> Next time, I will just listen to Alex and not turn it on until I'm coming up here. We're going to be in Jonah again this morning. Uh, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Um, and if this is your first time here today, uh, welcome to ICP. I'm Vince. I am uh, just a guest preacher here. Um, and uh, we'll be here through October uh, as we're going through Jonah, uh, a series uh, entitled Grace in a Foreign Place. And most of us, since this is the International Church of Prague, we are likely in some type of foreign place for us, uh, as this may not be our, our home country. If it is our home country, then I would say if you are, well, the grace is foreign because it doesn't belong to us. So let, let's just put it that way. But Jonah chapter 1, uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up. And hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord... Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then, The men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish 
to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is God's holy word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as we come to your word, Lord, to see Christ in this story. Lord, to see our failures and to see Christ's successes, to see Christ's faithfulness, to see his grace. We ask this in the name that is above every name, the name that at which all knees will bow, the name of Jesus. Amen. So recently, um, I saw a quote from Steve Prefontaine. If anyone is a runner, you probably know who Pre is, okay? Like, I'm, I'm like an, a, a beginner runner. I'm, I, I wouldn't, I hate even calling myself a runner. But Steve said, a lot of people run a race to see who is fastest. I run to see who has the most guts, who can punish himself into exhausting pace, and then at the end, punish himself even more. You know, that's, that's a great quote. And it's a good like, quote for the mindset of a runner, right? I have another friend. His name is Steve also. And he, he recently said, you know, if you, if you want to run faster, well, just run faster. Thanks, Steve. That's amazing advice from both of these men named Steve. Again, great mindset for a runner. Not a great mindset for a Christian or for one who wants to approach the Lord. You know, and many in the church think all we have to do is we just have to be a better Christian. We just have to be a Christian. We just have to work harder as a Christian. As Pre said, who can punish himself and then at the end punish himself more? Who can just run faster? See, it doesn't work where God is concerned. We cannot save ourselves. And, and many times, we, we, the things we do as Christians, we do it, why? Thinking, man, we, we're going to earn the merit of the Lord. We're going to earn grace from the Lord. It's not grace if we earn it. And Today, in our text, we see that God has given a means by which we would be saved. And it's not our effort. It's not our effort. Our text today shows that God is the sovereign Savior of sailors, prophets, and sinners. And that's good news for us today. We're going to see this in, in kind of like three different scenes or three different acts in this drama here. Okay, we're going to see God revealed as the sovereign storm bringer. We're going to see God bring about repentance. And then finally, we're going to see God as the Savior of his people. These, these three scenes illuminate the truth of this passage for us, that God is the sovereign Savior of sailors, prophets, and sinners. So let's jump in and see what Jonah and the Lord through Jonah has for us this morning. Again, verse 7 and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots 
that we may know on whose account this evil has come to us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So, casting lots, the sailors find out on whose account this, has come, this had come to them. Now, what is, what is a lot, first of all? Well, lots are, are colored rocks, and, and once you throw them, uh, if it, you know, it's kind of like odd man out. Everyone has a color, or, or there's all white and typically one red, and whichever the red one falls on, it's like, oh, you, you win the lot. Now, crazy thing is, we can look at that as like, well, okay, that's just, you know, a game of chance, but that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. So even the casting of lots, we're told in Scripture, the Lord is the one who gives its decision. And the Lord singled out his prophet. And it falls to Jonah. And at first, you know, we think, hey, like the lot fell on Jonah. We, we know the background story. We know it's because of Jonah. But the sailors were probably just thinking, this is the guy who knows something. And so they're like, hey, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? And he says, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet. I, I fear the Lord. And, and I can tell you on whose account this has come. The crazy thing is, Jonah says, I fear who the lord but he doesn't does he his actions clearly prove that he doesn't fear the lord he's running from the presence of the lord he does not want to obey the lord remember last week the the lord came to jonah and said hey go to nineveh that great city call out against it their sin has come up before me and jonah arose and went to Joppa to buy a ticket down to Tarshish, the other side of the known world at the time, right? He doesn't fear the Lord. He got up and ran. No, not going to do it. But his statement doesn't just stop at, I fear the Lord. He tells us a little bit about the Lord, right? He made the sea and the dry land. God is the creator of everything we see here. God created the sea, so the sea obeys the Lord. So God is not only sovereign over the lot being cast into the lap and the decision that comes from it. No, God is also sovereign over the activities of the sea is what that statement means. And so, sailors are like, oh my goodness. And then he tells them apparently that he's running 
from the presence of the Lord. And even now, when they ask him the question, what have you done? What does he do? He repents, right? He repents and tells them, hey, turn around, go back to Joppa. Let me get off and go to Nineveh. That, that's, what it, that's what he does. No, it's not what he does. That's not what he does. He doesn't repent. He could have ended the storm right then by proving he feared the Lord, by falling on the grace and mercy of the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I turned back. And I guarantee you these men would have said, sure, we'll take you back to Joppa. Look, we're not going anywhere. But he doesn't. And we can look at Jonah and think, dude, come on. Really? Really? You're, you're going to just keep on? We might have thoughts of like, how dumb are you, Jonah? You just love punishment, Jonah? But are we any different? Maybe when the Bible confronts us about some of our sin or a great friend, because it takes a great friend to do this, he's got to really love you. She's got to really love you to say, hey, what you're doing right now is sin. And are we any different from Jonah when that happens? Do we just say, yeah, you're right, it is? Or, or no, we, we start justifying it. We start making excuses maybe for why we're doing it. No, it's, it's not really as bad as it sounds. We're not that different. We often don't take the discipline of the Lord when it's still easy. We continue and continue and continue until it's hard. And the damage is going to be worse. It just brings a question. This is a question I've been dealing with all week. Where is the Lord calling you to obedience now? Where is the Lord possibly already working discipline in your life? Where is he calling you to repent and come back to him? The great thing for the sailors and for us is the story does not end here with the revelation of the sovereign storm bringer. No, no, because God is not only the storm bringer. He is the sovereign savior of sailors, prophets, and sinners. So let's move on to act two. Sorry, I keep forgetting. It's funny, the whole time I lived in America, I counted like this. I moved back to Czech, and now I'm counting like an American. And it's like, come on, really? <laughs> We're going to move to Act 2 and see this gracious God who not only brings the storm, He brings repentance as well. Verse 11, They said to Him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more 
and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You know, their question to Jonah, what must we do that the sea may quiet down for us. You know, it's a natural outcome when you find out there's a prophet and he's the reason that this, this uh, storm has come upon you. It's natural. Why? They were probably expecting like, okay, we're, like he's going to demand some type of sacrifice or, or maybe like some promises for when we get back to dry land. Or maybe it's like, hey, we, we pay him like a tithe or something and, and, and the Lord is going to have mercy on us. They never expected the answer they got. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Wow. Another chance to repent. Another chance to turn back to the Lord. This time, it's, it's very clear. What must we do? Subtext, what must you do, Jonah? What, what, what have you done? What must we do? It's, it's a collective we that the sailors are meaning here. He does not want to repent. And the question of why kind of works into our minds, right? Why does he not want to repent? Well, if, if he repents, that means that the Lord is going to have mercy on him. The Lord is going to show him grace. This is the same guy who we're going to find out later. He didn't go to Nineveh. Why? Because he didn't want the Ninevites to repent and receive grace. So, so he didn't want them to have grace and he, all he wants them to experience is the justice of God. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to be an illustration of what they deserve. I have sinned, therefore I will not repent and I will receive the justice of God. And he doesn't repent And he tells them, again, this has come upon you because of me. So throw me overboard. And what do they do? What do they do? They do what we do again so often, right? They rode harder. They tried harder. They had a longer quiet time. They had a more consistent quiet time. They prayed more. They served more. They tried to get back to dry land and save themselves. (laughs) 
Again, that is an ironic twist. Remember last week we, we talked about the irony that, that is in Jonah? Well, uh, uh, chapter 1 has the most irony is it in it, and this is yet another piece of it. The, the pagan sailors were more concerned about Jonah's life than Jonah was about their life, about his life, and even about the lives of the Ninevites. The one who knew the Lord, who knew that everyone was created in God's image and therefore valuable and had some type of worth, that guy does not care. And it's the pagans who don't know God, who are like, man, we, we don't want you to die. So we're going to row harder to get back to dry land. And their struggle resulted in the sea becoming more and more tempestuous against them. Now, now remember back to last week. This storm was already scary enough that they're throwing everything overboard to lighten the ship because the ship is thinking to break up, right? And, and, and it is a man killer of a storm. Like, like these guys are already scared. Hardened sailors are like, dude, this is a scary storm. And then twice in these, these 10 verses, we read, it had grown more and more tempestuous against them. It had grown more and more tempestuous against them. The sea has now turned against them. This is now a storm of, of epic proportions. Maybe even biblical proportions. And who repents? The sailors do. They cry out to God. They cry out to God. But they don't just cry out to God. They cry out to God in His covenant name. Remember, when we see in our Bibles the, the all caps LORD, that is God's covenant name that has been transposed into the English there. So they cry out, Oh, Yahweh! Let us not perish. For this man's life and lay not on us Innocent blood for you, oh Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. They see the truth of God being the one who's brought this storm. And they now have a command from the Lord's prophet to throw him overboard. And they saw what their disobedience to not throw him overboard brought. It brought more calamity. More hardship. A bigger storm. And so they cry out. And they say, oh Lord. This is real repentance. And it only comes from the Lord doing it. It only comes from the Lord sovereignly working and bringing circumstances and changing these men to bring them to a place where they recognize Him and then they call out to Him. And the Lord grants repentance because He's the sovereign Savior of sailors, of prophets, 
and sinners. So let's move on to the next act. See what happens. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Real repentance is recognized by her fruits. Real repentance results in actions. They repented and it brought them to obedience. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. Yet again, proof that the Lord is sovereign over the waves. Over the waves. In Psalm 107, for instance, we, we read that, that many had gone down to the sea and gotten on boats and they did business on the seas and, and the Lord brings storms against them and, and, and brings hardship on the seas. And then in 107, 28, what do we read? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. These sailors experienced what Psalm 107 is talking about. And they made vows. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's speaking that they have said, you are my God. And we are now your people. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Uh, This past week on Wednesday was the Jewish um, observation of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Do you know what the Jewish people read on the last evening of the Day of Atonement? Jonah. They read the book of Jonah in many of their synagogues. These sailors, these pagan sailors, are still extolling the Lord in the congregation of the people and praising Him in the assembly of the elders. Because of their repentance and because of God's sovereign saving of them, And the prophet alone now experiences this storm. The prophet alone experiences, you could say, the wrath that their sin deserves. The prophet alone 
is thrown into the tempestuous sea. God is indeed at work saving these pagan saviors at the cost of someone else's life. The life of his prophet. You gotta, again, realize what the the sea meant to a Jew at the time. The sea represented chaos and all of the forces of the world arrayed against God. And, and Jonah's like, I would rather take my chances with the sea than with God. I would rather be thrown into the, the symbol of everything that is against the Lord than to take my chances with the Lord. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Shows how hard his heart is toward the Lord. He would rather take his chances there than to repent and go to Nineveh. Yet when he's thrown in, the sea ceases. It's raging. The result, the repentance the Lord brought to the sailors is now manifested in faith in Yahweh. They offered a sacrifice and made vows. True conversion once again. And it came as a life was traded for their lives. This is possibly one of the clearer pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. God sacrificed one to save many. God poured out His wrath on His prophet in order to save the people that He had been calling to Himself. God is the sovereign Savior of sailors. But again, the story's not ended there. Let's look at this last verse. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God was not done with his wayward prophet either. He had appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now look, I know in our scientific age, Many may ask the question, well, I mean, hey, he can't live three days in the, in the belly of a fish. Well, look, fish just meant sea creature at the time, okay? We know now that there are marine mammals, right? And they have to come up and get air because that's, that's the argument that many people say. He would have died in the fish. He would have suffocated, even if it was big enough that he had room, Well, could have been a whale. Could have been a whale that would have had to come up, get some air. Jonah wouldn't have suffocated necessarily. However, I'm just willing to say, God that can bring that kind of storm and stop it like that, he can also appoint a special, different kind of fish just for Jonah. Okay? And, and here's the thing, we, we know this just from, from like, uh, the, 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 I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank because I went off script here. Um, we, we know this from the inspiration of Scripture, okay? Like Paul, 
wrote a lot of the New Testament. And to have a mind that worked like Paul and to have the, the, the teaching of the, the Jewish side of things in Paul and then be converted and come to Christ like Paul, like God needed a Paul to pin most of the New Testament, so he made Paul. God needed this animal that could swallow up Jonah and keep him for three days, so God made this animal. I don't know what kind of animal it was. The Bible says fish. It could mean any kind of seafaring creature. For me, it helps me to say it was a whale, probably a large sperm whale or a blue whale. Maybe. The point is, not the fish. Don't let the fish trip you up. Don't let the fish trip you up. You got to see that God sent it. God appointed it. God is in control of this whole narrative. God is in control of this entire drama. And God, knowing that his prophet is going to hit the water at this time in this spot, appointed the means for Jonah to be saved. Because God is also the savior of wayward prophets. And we see this all through, all through the Old Testament. Similar to when Adam and Eve sinned. Right after they sin, they're thrown out of the garden. But what happens? God makes them clothes out of animal skins to cover, to cover their nakedness, to, in essence, cover their sin. Similar to when David sinned with Bathsheba. When Nathan the prophet confronts him, and he repents, Nathan tells him, the Lord has put away your sin. When Abraham lied to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister and not his wife, God gave Pharaoh an uneasy sleep and troubled him greatly, covering Abraham's sin. And you see, when God's people sin, he has already appointed a means for their salvation. In his grace, God appointed this fish to save Jonah from his hard-hearted rebellion and rejection of God. He saved Jonah from the raging sea by appointing this fish to be at the exact spot at the exact moment in order to save the prophet. He saved the one who didn't care about Nineveh, the sailors, or even himself. Because that's what God does. He is the sovereign Savior of sailors and prophets and sinners. And this now brings us to the final portion of our sermon today. He's the sovereign Savior of sinners. See, we like Jonah and the saviors, I mean the sailors, we need a savior as well. And we are saved in the same way they are. By the substitutionary death of God's prophet. Capital P, prophet. 
You see, while we were pagans and God-haters, those who thought we could run from God or maybe even run to Him, God had appointed a means for our salvation. And that means that it's through the substitutionary sacrifice of someone else. Jonah died in a sense. We're going to see that next week in his prayer where he talks about he had sunk down to Sheol, to the grave, to the pit. So Jonah died in the place of the saviors so that they could be brought to faith in God and make vows to him. And there, there had to be a substitute for the sailors. They experienced that salvation. And it's a theme all through the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, what happened right after that? Again, the coverings, but it came at the cost of a life. Those animal skins didn't just materialize. God, in, in essence, showed them the cost of their sin. It requires death. On the day you eat of it, dying you shall die, he told them. And yet, someone else experienced the death so that their sin might be covered. And we move forward and we see this theme again and the calling of Abraham and, and him being commanded to sacrifice Isaac. What saved Isaac? A substitute. With his head caught in the thorns. If that doesn't preview Jesus, I don't know what does. The ram caught in the thorns. And then we come to Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob. And he's killed, right? They, they bring back his coat coated in blood that, of an animal that they had killed and they told their dad he was killed. And in essence, he's resurrected and he saves his brothers and his father and not only them, but all of the known world at the time. The substitutionary death of someone or something else is all through Scripture. And the sailors in Jonah were saved by Jonah's death, being thrown into this tempestuous sea. So what about us? Are we different? No, we are not different. We cannot save ourselves. We need a substitute as well. And while the sailors were worried about the blood of an innocent Jonah being on, our, on their hands, we know Jonah was not innocent. We see that in this story. But our substitute that is foreshadowed in Jonah was innocent. He was spotless. He was sinless. He was without blemish. Why? Because not only did we need someone to atone for our sin or to pay for our sin, we also needed righteous deeds. And the Bible tells us that no one is righteous. Not one. The substitute must also live righteously on our behalf. See, the breaking of God's laws and commandments and statutes awakens His wrath and demands justice. Jonah got that part right. Justice must be fulfilled. So this substitute goes both ways. What theologians call the great exchange takes place. Christ takes our sin upon Himself, dies for our sins, it, it, 
like takes the full wrath of God's wrath. Justice is poured out on him fully. And what do we get? We get the perfect, righteous, obedient deeds of Christ credited to us. And by making that exchange, Jesus frees us from the consequences of sin and the wrath of God against all unrighteousness and sin. And if you're here today, and maybe this is all new to you, if you only get one thing, take this with you. God substituted His sinless Son for you so that you would be saved from the wrath of God. Because God really is the sovereign Savior of sailors, prophets, and sinners. You know what? We could just say that God is the sovereign Savior of sinners. Let's just shorten it. All right, we're rewriting the sermon right now as we speak. Good job in helping me with that. But he doesn't stop there. He credits us with his righteousness so that when God looks on us, we have the righteous deeds of Christ. We, we are, in, we are, we are uh, given a robe by him. We're, we're dressed now in white garments that are as white as snow, we read in Revelation. And, and the crazy thing is, all of us, we strive and strive and strive to be accepted by what? Good works. And it turns out we are. But they're not our good works. They're Christ's good works. We are saved by the works of another. The greater Jonah, the greater prophet, was, has indeed taken our place and been hurled into the sea of God's righteous wrath and judgment so that we may experience the calming of the storm of wrath against us. But it doesn't merely save us from the waters of judgment. He saves us from the lake of fire that we read about. And after saving us, oh, oh man, He now invites us to His table to eat with Him. We're coming to this earthly table now to eat bread and wine that symbolize His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Communion is a time of remembrance of what the Lord Jesus has done for His people. He took our place and by taking our place saved us from the wrath of God. In remembering what Jesus has done, we celebrate the victory He has won over death and Satan. In our remembrance and celebration of this, it is also proclamatory. Paul tells us that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim His death until He comes again. This is a proclamation of the Gospel where the sinless one was substituted for His sinful people. But it's, it's even more than that. It's a participation in the body and blood, Paul goes on to tell us. When we take the bread and wine, in some sense we participate in the death of Jesus through identification. 
He identifies with us when he takes our wrath on him. We identify with him when we take of the bread and of the cup. Because of all of these things. It's also a means of grace to God's people. That's why he commands us to take it. And finally, it's also a look forward to when he returns and and brings us to that marriage supper of the Lamb where he, where he will serve those sinners that he's sovereignly saved where the Lord himself will bring the bread and the cup. For those who don't deserve it, but we deserve it because of what he's done, because of his love that he has set on us. Now look, if you're here today and you have not trusted in the Lord, to pay for your sins. I would just ask that you observe this meal. This is, this is a family meal. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ and His sacrifice, receive the bread, receive the cup. If you haven't, you can do so now. You can come to Him. You can repent You can turn from your sins and turn to Him. You can, can do like these sailors. You can fear the Lord exceedingly. It's not necessarily like a kind of fear. It's more of an awe and a reverence. Look what our God can do. And they offered a sacrifice. And they made vows. But if you haven't come to him, just observe. Ponder what he's done. Ponder what we've just heard about. How Jonah failed and Adam failed and David failed. But in every way that they have failed, Christ never failed. Scripture tells us he is able to save to the uttermost. He always succeeds. So the band's going to come up while we pray and lead us through a song. And while they're doing that, come and receive the bread, receive the wine, and then we will eat and drink these together in a second. Father, we thank you for the invitation to your table. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us in providing a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice, so that we would not be swept away in your wrath. Oh Lord, thank you for Christ.